Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Do you know why unbelievers don't like the Bible very much? It's because it's a story of victory after victory after victory. And not for them, of course, but for Christians. Unless we dig up some version of the Bible that rewrites everything we know about God's intervention in history, and we won't, then the Bible will always serve as a testament to God's victory in all things. Death, disease, temptation, demonic activity, and despair cannot and do not prevail against God. We see it over and over, and we see it in all three of our texts this morning. Though thought of now as a kind of dominant player in world affairs, the truth is that the church has a long history of being the underdog. Abraham was just one man who had one son, who had two sons, one of whom had 12. But then 11 of those 12, of course, put the one of them, Joseph, into a pit to die, and he would go on to lead Egypt and set the stage for the exodus from Egypt and the giving of the promised land. Moses, another underdog, you know, he said he could barely speak. The following women are said to be barren in the Bible and yet later would have children. Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca, Hannah, and Elizabeth. Jesus is crucified. We're talking about some underdogs, and and the the mission of bringing the gospel to the world was left only to his 11 apostles, and later the specially called Paul. David is certainly an underdog in his battle with Goliath, but we see how Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-grandfather paves the way for future victories by being unafraid and using some street smarts to defeat the arrogant. Paul, also certainly an underdog who was building and planting churches in a hostile environment with few resources, he talks about in our reading from 2 Corinthians today the very present tense nature of our victories. He says, see, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. That might have been hard for many of his churches to believe. He goes on then to list travail after travail, difficulty upon difficulty of bringing the word of God to the world. The kinds of difficulties that might have stopped any other charlatan from seeing their mission through, but of course not Paul. And then there is Jesus on the sea, waves crashing about him and he is asleep on the pillow in the bottom of the boat And naturally, his disciples are freaking out and are angry that he can remain so chill. But Jesus knows who he is and what he is capable of. And so when the time comes, he simply speaks and the wind and the waves obey him. His disciples are amazed, still not understanding what is going on fully, but chalk up another win for Jesus. 
one of many, many victories over the course of his ministry before his final throwdown at the cross and from the tomb and his ascension into heaven. With so many victories in the rearview mirror then, you would think that Christians would be a little more proud. You know, we should have the the church equivalent of the high school glassed-in cabinetry that holds all of our our pennants and the, the, the victorious footballs, you know, signed by the team, the trophies, the medals. You would think that we would be more confident to say to the world, hey, do you Do you want to be on the winning team? Join us. After all, yours is not only bound to lose, it has already lost. But I guess if we said such things or if we held that attitude, we would be, well, prideful. It would be seen as gloating. It would be exclusive. It would not be sufficiently inviting. It would lack tact. So really, the message of the church, sort of our one marketing idea, as far as I can tell, has been to say, God loves you. In fact, I was driving this weekend through the countryside a little. I saw a Methodist church, and it had a sign. It said, God's love is not canceled. Well, that's sort of contemporary. It it ties into the theme of cancel culture and so on and so forth. And yet I I thought again, is this the only message we ever have to say to the world? That the totality of our religion, our faith, what we know about God is that he loves everyone. I know a pastor shouldn't speak against the love of God, and yet what I'm trying to argue for is a fuller understanding of our faith. I would suggest that to do anything less robs God, in the eyes of men anyway, of course, of his glory. It is reducing the very thing that we should be celebrating, a victory, hard won at the cross, and instead acting ashamed. This week I heard an interview by a pastor in Canada who was recently arrested in Alberta for defying orders related to COVID-19. He is the third pastor in Alberta to be arrested for his ministry. You may have seen him. There was a viral video of him yelling at health officials and fully armed police officers to get out of his church. They didn't have a warrant, and he said they were not welcome there. His name is Arthur Pavlovsky. He is the son of a father who escaped from Siberia under Soviet communism, and he himself grew up in communist Poland. And he worries about the ability of the state to make it illegal for Christians to gather or do ministry. This is a pastor who I didn't know this. I learned this in the interview. His congregation is called Street Church. And what was his great crime? Well, in addition to his own church gathering, he insisted on feeding the homeless during this pandemic. And I guess it would be better for the homeless to be hungry than to run the risk of catching COVID-19 outdoors. And while this video of him yelling at health officials to get out of uh, his church is sort of what people know, that actually follows 15 months of his being followed and fined and threatened for doing this ministry. This was just the final confrontation 
except the one where he was arrested, having been pulled over on a Canadian freeway, with about 20 police officers in full SWAT tactical gear. Now, of course, we can blame the pastor. That's not hard. We can blame the pastor for disobeying authorities. We could even say he was not sufficiently caring for the well-being of others. He put others at risk. I think that would be entirely unfair and set some kind of bizarre precedent that suggests that for a pastor uh, or a church to ever disobey is always wrong. And that's just not true. But upon his arrest, he believes that he has awakened a sleeping army that is not really interested in, of course, causing people to get sick through some disease, but rather to question the rights of government to dictate the ways Christians can gather and minister to the poor. For him, it's not a question of, uh, of the church being victorious, but how and when. And that's what I heard in, in his interview. He, he gave the interview, by the way, I think he was almost smuggled out of Canada while he's on bail, probably be arrested the moment he goes back. In my more immediate circles, in the world of apologetics, I have to say that this is a way of thinking that I find to be too common. That, that is, instead of pronouncing the victory of the cross, we listen to the arguments against God with great patience. Apologetics, remember it's a fancy word that is just a defense of the Christian faith. It can often resemble something like begging people to believe in the God of the universe rather than proclaiming a message of victory. We always want to present ourselves in the most humble of lights while others have no problem uh, saying that we're fools. We'll go to the ends of the earth to meet people where they are, detailing all of the evidence for the resurrection or the existence of God, offering answers to the problem of evil, arguments for objective morality, and then apologizing in the more traditional sense of saying, I'm sorry, for all of the historic evils of the church. You know, we're so sorry for the Inquisition. We're so sorry for the Crusades, as though any of us had anything to do with any of that. We'll give of our valuable time simply relating to and listening to all of those objections, and all of which may very well be perfectly fine. We all have to decide when we've, you know, maybe gone on for that too long. But it strikes me that we are well within our rights or would be well within our rights to, you know, play a little bit of offense, right? Not to be offensive. People will call you offensive. We should know that by now, right? Because someone will always be offended by something, no matter how we do it. But it's okay to go on offense. And I think it's perfectly within bounds to position our message and faith as one that is unapologetically sure of victory. Anything less might actually be an offense to God. Yes, we're so often worried about offending our friends and co-workers and colleagues that we neglect to realize that watering down our message of victory to one that is more reasonable or modest or maybe just the best of equally good claims is actually a kind of denial of God. 
We're taking all of these great stories, we're, we're putting them to the side, and then we empower the unbeliever to consider God on the unbeliever's terms, having set aside our most powerful evidence. And the truth is that more than evidence, we deal in proclamation. That's what we're called to do. We tell a true story, and we boldly proclaim the word of God, and we trust that God will do with that word what he intends to do. We trust that the people of God will hear God's word and respond because they have been called. Jesus says the sheep will hear his voice, the voice of the shepherd. We are not desperate for anyone to respond in any kind of way. And you know what? God isn't either. Because we know that the story of God is a story of victory again and again and again. And I can't make someone see that or believe that or love that. Well, I apologize for not going particularly in-depth on any one of our stories this morning. Lots of good stories and passages. Rather than tease anyone out, I simply thought it was important to remind you, followers of Jesus, that you are those who live in the wake of Jesus' many victories. It's a theme throughout the Bible, from Abraham to Moses to David to Jesus to Paul. I mean, who wouldn't want to be on the team of the guy who can make the wind and the waves obey him? And so why should we be shy in proclaiming that God without any apology. Amen.